Welcome to the Indie Brand Builder Podcast, where successful entrepreneurs and industry experts get real about what it takes to build a seven-figure product brand with your host, Jeremy Robinson. So welcome. Thanks for joining me for the three numbers that are key to your product business's success. And when I talk about success, I'm really talking about scalability. So that's why we're not really talking about revenues or profits. I want to also just talk about cottage industry versus a scalable venture. So cottage industry, totally valid um, business model. I mean, you may be doing a lot of the work yourself, maybe even you're making the product yourself. And doing small batches and you know investing your own time to create and, and manufacture and even sell your products is, is fine. However, what we're talking about today and the numbers I'm sharing with you are really only applicable if your goal is to build a scalable venture. So neither is right or wrong. I just want to point out that, um, you know, if you're just really looking to run a lifestyle business, you can pretty much disregard this entire presentation. But if you want to build a scalable venture, that's what we're talking about today. These are the numbers that you need to understand. The bad news is, is that consumer product businesses, they have startup costs. And a lot of that is tied to developing a product and, and also you have to invest in inventory. So in other words, there's, there's a long gloomy valley at the beginning of your business where you're likely to have overhead that exceeds your income. Also, whenever you have inventory, you've got to move physical things around. You've got complexity and that complexity, the upfront costs mean that there's risk involved in these types of businesses. So the good news is, is because this is challenging to get set up, there are barriers to entry. So once you're up and running, you know, you've got a natural moat around your business. Uh, you have scalability and this is key. Um, and that's again, what we're talking about today. And in this day and age, the nice thing about scalability is easy access now to global markets, both in terms of suppliers and in terms of potential customers. And finally, there are established formulas for this type of business, which is again, what we're going to be exploring today. So let's talk about these three numbers that are key to scaling your product business to make it successful over the long run. And the first one is gross margin. It really is the foundational uh, number for your business. And what gross margin is, if you want a quick primer, it's the difference between the total cost of creating your products and what you're able to sell them for. So in other words, it's the percentage of revenue from each individual sale that you keep before expenses on average. If you ordered, say, $100,000 worth of goods from your factory, and let's say there was 100,000 of them, so they each cost a dollar. Now, let's say you were able to sell 10 of those items for $4 each. So you'd have total revenue of $40. The cost of those 10 items was $10. A 40 minus 10 is 30, over your total revenue of 40. So that's 30 over 40, and that's a gross margin of 75%, all right? And by the way, when I'm talking about cost of goods, I'm talking about every expense, every cost that you had to get your products into a warehouse or your basement or wherever you keep your products so that you could sell them. Nothing to do with your overhead, nothing to do with marketing costs, nothing to do with shipping them from your warehouse. But if you had to pay shipping, which presumably you did from the factory to your warehouse, that is part of your cost of goods. Okay, so the reason why gross margin is so important is it's really the leverage in your business because overhead tends to increase over time in more of a linear fashion 
while revenue tends to grow exponentially. And in fact, in your first year, you could grow 50 or 100% because obviously you're starting from zero. And you're going to grow by a percentage point every year. And, and that'll likely you know, become a little more predictable over time. So maybe you're growing at 10% a year, 20% per year, but your overhead is going to tend to go up. And this is a generalization, but it's going to tend to go up more or less incrementally over time. So you'll have this nice gap that begins to widen over time. And obviously in the beginning, if you look at the left hand of this chart, it doesn't look so good because your revenue isn't even covering your overhead. Okay, so what is a required gross margin? Uh, ideally, you're going to need 50 to 60% to survive in this business. And that's kind of a baseline. If it's higher, that's great. But without this margin, your business is probably not going to work. So the higher your gross margin, the quicker your path to profits. Obviously, you have more to play with. Let's say you're still in the early stages of your business, but you've got some good margins. Well, hang in there. This business needs to reach a certain scale before it starts to make sense. So even if you're not making money in the beginning, you can eventually realize economies of scale if you are able to scale. Now, that's a big if. And these next two numbers are going to show you whether or not you can scale. But if you've got this in place, you've got the baseline for what it could potentially be a successful business. Why do you need this kind of formula? Well, because it, it sort of bakes in all these other factors that are going to really be coming at you and you want to protect your gross margin. So first of all, you need to pay yourself and your employees. You've got overhead and that's going to come out of your gross margin. You also need to invest in growth. You may need to wholesale your products. So you want to want to play with margin there. You're going to need to pay sales agents, for instance. These are, you know, other kind of like layers of costs in, in terms of getting your products to market. You may eventually need to liquidate some of your products. Maybe you can't sell all your products. All that's kind of baked into this 50 to 60%. Now, obviously, it's not going to cover the fact if you need to liquidate all of your products, but this kind of is a general ballpark for accounting for all of those variables. Now, you may argue, well, listen, you know, I'm really small now, and I know that if I can scale up, I can get my gross margins, you know, to 50 to 60%. Uh, this is a valid argument, and if you're just starting out and maybe you're just testing your products and you're willing to pay a little bit more to kind of just do a small, very small run or maybe like just kind of a handmade run to kind of see if there's a product market fit, that's totally valid. You're not really in the growth stage. You're kind of in the testing phase at that point. But I would argue that there's going to be other pressures as you get to larger volumes. Uh, like, for instance, as you move into larger retailers, they're going to hammer on your margins. So, again, I, I'm not saying you know, it'll never work, but you, you're going to want to make sure you have the ability to get and sustain this type of margin. I would also really encourage you to work out your gross margin by channel or segment. And this will give you some real insight as to how to allocate funds, which I'll get into with the next couple concepts. And just I put a note here, you might be willing to compromise on margin for volume. That's one thing we've already talked about or other benefits in select cases. And you're gonna to have to look at this on a case-by-case -case basis. So marketing is one that may justify taking a lower margin. So for instance, let's say you, there was a, a retailer that's a very prestigious retailer. You know that if you could say we were in this retailer, be a big boost for your brand's credibility and give you a lot of visibility. You, know, you could look at that on a case-by-case -case basis. Another one's risk mitigation. We'll talk about like when you're selling to distributors who maybe they're paying you up front or you're taking that order to the factory. You don't have to carry any inventory. Again, that's, that's a valid case for, for looking at a lower margin. 
Okay, the second number is called customer lifetime value. And uh, it's really the average amount that a customer spends on your products over the lifetime of your relationship with that customer. It's not a static number. It should increase over time as maybe you are going to expand your product offering. Uh, maybe you will deepen your relationship with the customer. But it's a simple formula. It's the average basket size or average size of an individual sale that you make times the repurchase rate for each customer. For instance, you go to the grocery store and every time you go to the grocery store, maybe on average you're, you're spending $100. And you go to the grocery store a lot, maybe you go once a week. I mean, that's gonna be a high lifetime customer value. Uh, the simple formula would be like in Shopify to export your customer list, you can easily get your average basket size, right? That's your average uh, purchase size. Uh, but then if you wanted to get the repurchase rate, you could just look at the purchases column and just calculate the average number of purchases per customer. That's gonna be your repurchase rate. The challenge is if you're a young business, obviously the repurchase rate may be hard to establish because uh, you haven't really been through an entire lifetime cycle with a customer. But you know, estimating it is gonna be better than not having a number at all. And you can kind of use comparable businesses as a rule of thumb. So for instance, if you're selling consumable products versus you know, maybe a discretionary lifestyle product, you're gonna have a different trajectory. So consumables, obviously, you know, people are going to be repurchasing at a higher rate. One other value of thinking about customer lifetime value is thinking about it in terms of the whole purchase process and how do you increase customer lifetime value by focusing on different stages of your relationship with a customer. It's very expensive to convert somebody to a paying customer but it's a lot less expensive to, you know, to remarket to your existing customers. So you can look at life, customer lifetime value in the way you move people from being a single time purchaser, one time purchaser to a repeat purchaser to even, you know, maybe a VIP uh, customer who's purchased from you multiple times. And once again, I would strongly suggest that you start to get a feel for your customer lifetime value by channel or segments, like uh, maybe by identify that you have just different types of customers. So for instance, even within So Young's wholesale channel or wholesale business, we really have two different types of customers. We have sort of chain stores, big big key, key accounts, and then we have uh, a lot of boutiques as well. But they have a very different profile in terms of the way they order products. The, the boutiques are smaller orders, but there's more of them and so on. So we can start to you know, draw distinctions and we may even you know, separate that into two different segments. So channels, segments, think about your business. What's the best way to think about the different types of customers or different ways you sell your product? Okay, the third number is your customer acquisition cost. And this is basically how much does it cost you to buy or market to a customer? You wanna use this in tandem with these other two numbers that we've already be, been talking about. Well, let's just look at a hypothetical situation where you've got a gross margin of 50% and you've got a lifetime customer value of $500. So your net customer lifetime value is half of your $500 total value, right? So it's $250 is how much profit you're making on any individual customer on average over the lifetime of your relationship with them. So obviously your customer acquisition cost has to be less than $250. It actually has to be quite a bit less than that if you're ever gonna have any money for overhead and profit. But beware, because you're gonna have to 
consider all the costs associated with acquiring a customer. So for instance, if you're running Facebook ads and you're saying, hey, you know, we're spending $5 in, on Facebook and we're making $10. Well, I mean, you're not really considering your gross margin there because you're actually like trading dollars at that point and maybe even losing money. It's really not even worth it at that scale. So what is worth it? Your target acquisition cost, if you're going to run a scalable business should be three to one. In other words, the net value of a customer should be three times more than the cost of acquiring them. So really at a 50% gross margin, you should be targeting a six to one, a six X return on investment. If you're looking at say the Facebook ads, right? So three to one at 50% gross margin is six X. So if the ratio is one to one, you're spending too much. If the ratio is five to one, you're actually, you're spending too little. Really should be three to one over your net lifetime customer value. So again, you wanna look at cost of acquisition by channel or segment. So whether or not you've got all these numbers at your disposal at this point in time, what I'm really trying to give you is a new way to think about your business as scalable. So what I want you to do is think of each sales channel as a system that you're building that allows you to leverage your time or money. And you can use the numbers that I provided you to compare the efficiency of each channel and increase or decrease your resource allocation to the most efficient channel or customer segment. Let's say you've got a wholesale channel, column B here, um, where your gross margin is 50%, your customer lifetime value is $1,000, your customer acquisition cost is $200. So your net customer lifetime value is $500. That's your gross margin times your lifetime value. Your ratio, if you plug all these numbers in, this is the spreadsheet, your ratio then is 40%. That's basically your acquisition cost over your net customer lifetime value, 40%. So in this case, we're spending a little too much on this channel because we're above that 33%, one to three ratio. Right? If we looked at our direct channel now, so the column C, if we got a gross margin of 65% in that channel, uh, your customer lifetime value is say $240. Obviously it's less than like selling to a, a retailer, but your customer acquisition cost is only $25. Then you've got a net customer lifetime value of $156 based on your gross margin there. The ratio is only 16%. We're actually spending too little in this, in this channel. So we can actually ramp up our spending to try and acquire more customers. We want to get, we actually want to get our, our customer acquisition cost up a little bit here because it's going to drive growth. It's going to drive more growth. Now distribution, I won't go through that, all these numbers, but at 83%, this is way too high. We may just decide that, you know what? It's a passive channel. We don't have a formula yet that's really working for this channel. You know, in wholesale, we could say we're kind of getting close. So we have to look at cutting our trade show costs or maybe raising our customer lifetime value to get more out of that. And a lot of people struggle with their e-commerce channel. They can't get their customer acquisition costs down. Uh, we're careful about when we spend money online. And basically what happens then is online kind of becomes a passive channel. You know, in this type of business, it's a multi-channel business. If you're selling your own unique products, you have choices. And, you know, wholesale can actually can actually help grow your direct channel and you can make direct more of a passive channel or you can know that at certain times of year it pays to advertise or not. And you can get that, that three, three X return. What I'm showing you here is a model that you can start plugging your numbers into and hopefully start thinking about your business 
as something that is scalable and you can pick your leverage points. Good question to ask yourself are what are my strategies for increasing customer lifetime value and decreasing customer acquisition costs? And this is where you can spend a lot of your strategic time thinking about that. So I tend to think a lot about branding uh, because that is a um, lever as well and it, it can impact all of them. It allows you to raise your prices, it allows you to increase your customer lifetime value, and it allows you to decrease your acquisition costs. So investing in your brand may be kind of hard to measure. Uh, it's a bit intangible, but over the long term, it can really pay dividends. And that's essentially how So Young has, has really, that it's been able to grow. These are the types of discussions and topics that we cover in the Indie Brand Builder Mastermind. So just to give you a little bit of a, an overview of what the Mastermind program is, it's an intimate learning community for consumer product entrepreneurs looking to build a successful, scalable business around their original product idea by learning from someone like me who has actually done it before. So the program provides weekly training, interviews with successful product entrepreneurs, and support from a like-minded community to bring structure and accountability to the challenging task of scaling your business. This is an intimate group, and these are people who are hand-selected. So in order to be really an ideal fit for this program, you are someone who has original products in market that are already generating some revenue. You don't have to be hugely profitable yet, but you're, you've got something, you've got a product market fit, and you're at a stage where you're committed to really seeing this business through. You're looking to scale up your business, and you're willing to commit at least a few hours a week, let's say three to five hours a week, to working on the business, not in your business, but actually working on your business. And these are the types of conversations we're gonna have on a weekly basis that allow you to elevate your mind to the executive level. So the mastermind format is basically, we have a, we have a monthly theme. Uh, and so there's four weeks of kind of lessons around that theme and some interviews with some great uh, successful entrepreneurs who are in, this, in similar situations as you. Uh, we have a weekly group meeting and a lesson like the one you've just seen. There's an optional assignment, typically. There's also weekly office hours where you get to come ask me any question you want about your business, anything that's going on. We can do a deep dive with you, whoever else is uh, on that call. And it's a great community platform which offers you some accountability. It offers you resources. We, we log all of these lessons. You can go back and visit them. What's really beautiful about a mastermind program is you get support from, from your peers. Please book a time to speak with me. would love to get to know more about you and your business. For more insights on building a seven-figure product brand, including free downloadable training material, visit IndieBrandBuilder.com.